This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. All right. You want to talk oh, about it? Let's get started. You want to talk about a true crime? Uh, I mean, I guess. Yeah. All right. So after that Daniel LaPlante episode, I figured I would take it a little bit easier on you this week. So Ooh. today I'm going to tell we you. We should do our intros first. <gasps> we should. You're right. Mm-hmm. Let me pull that up. Pull it up. Come on. I mess up every time. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. All right, Mogap. I decided, after that Daniel LaPlante episode, yes, I was going to take it a bit easier on you today. So, oh, bless your heart. Got a little bit more of a light one. Love this story. Okay. Excellent story. But no figures in wedding dresses in the corner, no seances, no basements at all. Ah. Uh, yeah. If you think I'm happy about that, you should ask <laughs> Russell, who did bring up the weighted golf club for your girl. <laughs> So Excellent. So today, I'm going to tell you what happens when you piss off the wrong mom. This mom could rival Wanda Holloway. What about Linda from oh. Laporte? <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell the Linda from Laporte. Who's Linda from Laporte, Mogab? <gasps> Linda from Laporte is what happens when you upset Louise because she was very upset when I don't know what how many years was it ago? 10, 15? I'm not sure. When Taylor Swift won the MTV oh. was MTV it Award, was right? 2009. So it was long yes. time. Yeah. <laughs> and Kanye, as you know, Kanye mm-hmm. West got up and mm-hmm. took the mic. I'm gonna, and I'm my gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> that. Yep. Yeah. And my mom is not a Taylor Swift fan. In fact, I don't even know if she knew who Taylor Swift mm-hmm. was or is mm-hmm. even at the time, but she felt so just passionate about the wrongdoing uh, that she decided she, she was going to open up a blank Microsoft document or document and she was going to let MTV know how she felt. And she wrote a three page letter oh riddled with typos, all the red squigglies. It was a scene. And then she, she promptly signed it. 
the very end, after she, you know, she wanted to forward it to me so I could sure. read it, um, she signed it, Linda from Laporte, <laughs> <laughs> which is our like small town that no one at MTV has ever heard of. And she was decided to send it. So I still will like send birthday cards or like <laughs> whatever little shout out. I want to say, hey, Linda from Laporte. And Anyways, she uh, she hates that I tell oh, that story. Oh, Linda you know from Laporte, you sent it. Stick it up Linda for the t- stick it up for the T twist. <laughs> so you can only imagine if someone had done me dirty like that. She no kidding. Mm-mm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash creepers. All right. A huge thanks to Christopher Gofford for his series of articles in the LA Times on this case called Framed, which is where pretty much all of my information came from. So I don't think we ever said this, but like a couple of months ago, I got an email from one of the detectives in one of our cases that we've covered that was like a wrongful conviction case. And he was very upset at the book that I used for the episode. And he said, if that's the only source you used, it sounds like you're just making a book report and not an unbiased podcast. And I was like, you can call it a book report if you want. That's basically what this is. This is a book report on this series of articles because it was very informative. I am shocked at the amount of one books that you're reading uh-huh. in a short amount of time. I'm still on Harry Potter, the Goblet of Fire. You've read like four <laughs> books in the time that I've still been reading that. And this is like an audio book. So I'm very excited for your audiobook <laughs> debut. Yes. I do wish you had a visual aid if this was a book report. We used to have to do those book reports in elementary where it was like the character. You get like a diorama. Chest, yeah. The little chest was like opened. Like a, if they had like a vest, you know, you'd open it and the like description uh-huh. would be there. That's really uh-huh. what I wish you had right now. So from flowcharts to book report visual aids. Yes. Uh, next time. Next time. Great. I'll have some visual aids for you. Uh, tell me all about it. All right. So this story takes place in a little town, little city called Irvine, California. Oh, I have been there. You have been to Irvine? Yes. Uh, just two years ago, I went to 
the University of California, Irvine for a visit. Really? Well, Mm -hmm. then as you may know, it is a master planned community about 15 minutes from Newport Beach, about an hour outside of LA. Mm -hmm. The median property value in this city is $850,000 with a six-figure median income. And the high school boasts a 90% college acceptance rate. They got rid of all the bars and the liquor stores and the homeless shelters, and they traded all those in for noise ordinances and lawn length requirements. Their little airport, John Wayne Airport that we flew into is like, I don't know, bougie for an airport. It's just a very interesting Yeah, I could see that. They're proud to say that they have been rated America's safest city for 15 years in a row. Or so they say, because unless your Google search includes the name Irvine, the safest city in America of that size is Olympia, Washington. I'm very sorry, Irvine. It's not you. I'm sure (laughs) that it's still really, really safe. In fact, the streets and parks of Irvine were actually all laid out in ways to deter crime, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. It's 64 square miles full of fake lakes, 219,000 people, and 63,000 trees. And... My fun fact, a uh-huh. university whose mascot is the anteater. Oh. Which is, you know, an interesting mascot. Anteater. I like that. But with safety comes boredom. And that's really the crux of our story here today, I think. People that just don't have enough problems in their life. 99 problems. They had none of those problems. <laughs> it's zero problems. Kelly Peters moved to Irvine because she wanted to raise a family in a city that she felt safe in. She wasn't the type of person you'd think would be drawn to Irvine. She ran a small business called Only for the Groovy, painting tie-dye jeans. And she just seems like too much of a free spirit to have a lawn length requirement. Oh, she sounds like my... Patronus. Yes, she's really cool. Before moving to Irvine, she'd bounced around the outskirts of LA. She'd worked in pizza shops, skate shops. She'd bartended. She'd waited tables. Once she'd just flown to Hawaii, and then she didn't leave for two years. (laughs) That she definitely sounds like you. I know. (laughs) I know. Uh, More. Hope there's a pizza party in this one too. Oh well, she worked at a pizza place. I know. That's why I got excited. Yeah. No other pizza parties, but. After years of spontaneity, she started working a high-pressure job in the mortgage industry. In her mid-30s, she settled down. She married a blues musician and restaurant owner named Bill Peters and finally got pregnant with her daughter, Sydney. She used that as an excuse to quit her mortgage job, and she threw herself into her family. You know who I'm picturing? Who? Kirsten from the OC. Yeah, but with short hair. She's got a little cute little bob. Oh, cute. But yeah, otherwise, I, yeah, very like flowy sundresses, like that, just that kind of style. By the time Sydney was 10 and a fifth grader at Plaza Vista Elementary, Kelly was the parent volunteer at her school that everyone knew. She was the volunteer director for the after school classroom enrichment program and was constantly at the school with her flip flops and her peace sign necklace. Mm. Plaza Vista was a year-round public school with an excellent reputation. There was an organic garden out back, a climbing wall, a really nice athletic field. Everyone at Plaza Vista Elementary knew Kelly, who was great with all the kids, and she'd wait with them until their parents picked them up from the after-school program. She'd even, Kelly had even been given a desk at the front office, and that made her privy to a lot of the parental drama at the elementary. She'd see parents coming in demanding a math teacher be fired because their kid got a B, or another one who wanted to put up giant umbrellas all over the playground so that her 
child would be shielded from the sun. Some blocks, sis. <laughs> but she had no idea what one of these parents was actually capable of. Oh, no. No idea at all. I feel like you might know. <laughs> that was the cutest little meow noise. <laughs> On February 16th, 2011, she'd scheduled a karate teacher to come into a class with the kids at the after school enrichment program. But that day, the teacher had texted Kelly to say he was stuck in traffic and he asked if she'd watch the class until he got there. So Kelly said no problem. She went to the multipurpose room with um, with the kids and she started going through their warm-up exercises with them when the principal came down and told her that a policeman was there asking for her by name. Oh, no. So Kelly starts freaking out. The only thought that jumped in her head was that something had happened to her husband. He'd been in an accident. He'd been killed. He, like, right. was a driving around salesman guy. Like he, And so she was like, he must have gotten into a car accident. Was her child, Sydney, in this after-school program, I'm assuming, that she's helping with? I don't. I can't say for 100% sure, but yeah, I'm pretty certain okay. she would be in the program. Okay. She ran down to the office where she saw Officer Charles Shaver, and he tried to calm her down. He said her husband was fine as far as he knew. This was about something totally different. He said a man had called 911 to report a dangerous driver that he'd seen in the school parking lot when he'd pulled in around 1.15 that afternoon. The caller said that it appeared the driver was under the influence of using under the influence or using drugs. He said he'd seen drugs in the car and he thought he saw the driver put something behind the car seat. He even knew who the driver was. He said it was Kelly Peters in a car with a license plate cover with only for the groovy written around it. <laughs> Kelly's oh, car. How ridiculous. You can't see in the car. Right. All That's that happened. Excellent eyesight. Guy on the phone, a caller. Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> Kelly was stunned at the officer's story. She told him that was impossible. And she'd already been inside the school at 115 when the caller said he'd seen her. So the officer walked out to the parking lot with her and she saw his police cruiser blocking in her PT cruiser, which is the oh, only thing wrong with her. Oh. I know. I was, <laughs> but like, wouldn't you expect that from like what always groovy? I mean, okay, do they even make PT cruisers anymore? I haven't seen one in. I think they years. do. It was after school, but there were still people like you know milling about with yeah. their kids, and they were watching them curiously. Officer Shaver asked Kelly if she had anything in her car that she shouldn't have, and she said no. Oh, you don't know that though, girl. You mm -hmm. do not let him in there. He asked if he could search her car, and she said no problem, but she was really nervous. She knew she didn't have anything in her car except maybe dog hair and some of her daughter's toys, but it's really nerve-wracking when you're dealing with the police. Officer Shaver peered into the back seat, and he didn't have to look very hard to find it. Yeah. Right there, sticking out from the pouch behind the driver's seat, was a bag full of 17 grams of weed, a ceramic pipe, and two small baggies full of pills, one uh, full of Percocet and the other Vicodin. Oh. Uh, Pot at a Kelly. school was a misdemeanor. The Vicodin and the Percocet made it a felony. And it was definitely enough to put her in jail. No, I'm like so mad. I'm so mad. I know. So the officer 
spreads the drugs on the hood of her car and she is begging him to put them somewhere where people can't see her daughter might come out at any moment and see them she kept insisting the drugs weren't hers she said something must have planted them there and now officer shaver was 40 he was a 22 year veteran a former ncis investigator with the marines and he was now a sniper on the irvine police swat team which i'm sure has never been used before But what a baddie. Yeah. But he'd had his fair share of run-ins with drug users and addicts, and they all had one thing in common. They all lied. I was going to say, they all said that (laughs) it wasn't theirs. It's not mine. Somebody must have planted it there. But something about Kelly made him pause. First off, no one left a bag of pot just sticking out of the seat pouch in their car. It's too easy to see. at a school. At a school. People are putting them in glove compartments or under the seat. And in his experience, people that smoked pot didn't keep the pipe inside the bag of pot like this one was. I can't speak to that. I don't know if people would keep their pipe in the bag or not. I've never smoked pot. I've never smoked a cigarette, but I feel like you would put keep all your stuff together. No. Uh, yeah. Apparently not. He could have just taken her to jail and called it a day. She had the drugs. They were in her car. It was the end of his shift. He could have just taken her arrested her, processed her, and been home for dinner. I'm sure the peace signs and, like, grooviness isn't helping her seasoning, probably. <laughs> sure. Right? Like, Yes. Please. But he decided to look more into this. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> as open and closed as it appeared. Wait. I think this also got scrapped. But do you remember when my mom found my Bob Marley CD? <laughs> and she was convinced because I had a Bob Marley CD, which I listen to a lot of reggae music, and I love Bob Marley. He's in my, like, top three artists. She found that Bob Marley CD and tore my room apart. All my drawers overturned. She just knew that there was going to be marijuana in there. I mean, she was convinced. Just destroyed it. Found nothing, of course. And then when asked about it, well, what was I supposed to think? You're listening to Bob Marley. I mean, that was, like, literally the that was like in the West Memphis Three, Damien Eccles' wrongful conviction. At trial, they literally used the fact that he had like Metallica posters up on his wall as proof that he was like in a satanic cult and had murdered these three kids. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe the officer should also go through her CD changer. You go know? through her playlist. So, but he was thinking maybe this isn't as open and closed as it appears. So he puts the drugs in his trunk and he takes Kelly back inside the school to a conference, to a conference room there so he could continue to interview her. I appreciate that. Yes. And we'll get into it more. But the fact that this happened to Kelly in Irvine, I think, is her only saving grace. Because if this had happened anywhere with a moderate to high crime rate there's no way they would have put time into this but and you'll see how much time they ended up having to put into this Hmm. so school administrators confirmed kelly's story she'd arrived in the school office around 12 40 well before the 115 call to 911 which meant the caller waited 35 minutes to call in an erratic driver at an elementary school that didn't make any sense and you know this elementary is equipped with state-of-the-art cameras so pull the tapes (laughs) pull the tapes (laughs) yeah that's a good point they did not ever talk about any security cameras at the school so i'm not sure if they did or not he also quickly realized that the phone number the caller had given to 911 dispatch was a fake number 
So he's like, okay, something. No, it was just a fake number. So something (laughs) was wrong. So Shaver asked Kelly if he could search her apartment. And Kelly is not so sure about that. She thought there were no drugs in her car. She also thinks there are no drugs in her apartment. But somebody could just as easily have planted drugs in her house as they could in her car. But she allowed the officer to follow her to her apartment, which was a block away. So Shaver started searching through her bedroom. Wait, they let her drive her own car? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's surprising. Okay. Yeah. Shaver started searching through her bedrooms, drawers, couches, cabinets. He was looking for anything to link her to the drugs in her car. Not just more drugs or paraphernalia, but also those little baggies they came in. They were, they had um, easy dough stamped on them and they're tiny baggies. They're not like Mm -hmm. a little, they're snack bag. They're for medication. It's like what your little like extra buttons come in. Oh, that's that's how you know I'm a grandma. Like in your cardigans, you know, those like little. Yeah, zip- a little bigger mm-hmm. than that. A little bigger than that. And these said Easy Dose on them. And they were like mm-hmm. a Ziploc brand kind of bag. I mean, they might not have been Ziploc brand, mm-hmm. but they were a branded Ziploc right. bag. And it looked like they were for people to put their like medication in, the, you right. know, for the day. <laughs> but he couldn't find anything. He didn't find anything there. Kelly watched him search her apartment. She was just certain she was spending the night in jail. Her brain had been churning the entire time and it had finally settled. And she was fairly certain that she knew what had happened, but she did not know what to do about it. Officer Shaver told her they wouldn't be taking her to jail that night, but that if her DNA turned up on the drugs, she could still be charged. And this is what tells me that Irvine PD must have been hella bored because they're spending time <laughs> and money running DNA on a drug possession charge. Yeah. I mean, it's a felony, but it seems like half the time they don't run DNA in murders. Murders. So. Yeah. I was just about to say, like, <laughs> Chicago or Detroit or someone else. Like, you're right. <laughs> Houston, hard pressed to get DNA for murder. And they're like, if your fingerprints come back on this baggie. Right. Which. Not even his fingerprints. They're literally running DNA. DNA. Yeah. (laughs) But how does that work? It was in her car. Like her DNA is all over her car. I well, I guess they could tell if it was like a transfer or something. I don't know. But Kelly didn't know whether or not her DNA would turn up on the bags of drugs. So that wasn't really very comforting to her. She worried about it all night. She wondered what to do. She wondered how much she was going to tell the police. The whole thing was so stupid, she couldn't believe that what she thought was happening was true. More like, not what you tell the police, but how do you explain that to your husband? Your husband comes home, hey, how was your day? Well. Uh, well. <laughs> what happened was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they found this listen. giant bag of pot in my car. And some pills. <laughs> and some pills. But they're not mine, I swear. <laughs> Only for the groovy. It's just a saying. <laughs> I'm gonna have the to rebrand. The tie dye means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna have to rebrand after this. <laughs> but the next morning, she decided to tell Officer Shaver everything. She sat in the police chief's conference room, surrounded by detectives, and she walked them through what she believed happened. Officer Shaver asked Kelly, "If the drugs aren't yours, how did they get in your car?" And Kelly responded, "I have an enemy." Yes, you do. Kelly's enemy was named Jill Easter, and she was a fellow parent at Plaza Vista Elementary. Jill and her husband, Kent, were both in their 30s, and they'd been successful lawyers, experts in corporate and securities law. Kent had gone to Stanford and UCLA law, and Jill had gone to Berkeley law. 
Dang. Very successful. They had three young kids, and Jill had left her practice so she could be a stay-at-home mom. She spent her days organizing play dates, lunching with her girlfriends, hair appointments, Starbucks, yoga, while Kent worked 60-hour work weeks as a partner in one of the OC's biggest law firms. Oh, my gosh. List all those activities again. I want to picture myself doing them. Okay. Lunching with the girlfriends, hair appointments, Starbucks, Mm -hmm. yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. what even? Mm-hmm. Kent had a 14th floor office overlooking Newport Beach. So what made Kelly think of Jill as her enemy? Well, the year before, the Easters had spent a good amount of energy trying to get her removed from the school. <gasps> what? Why? The whole thing had really upset Kelly, but she thought it was over. But she knew they were behind the stash of drugs in her car and the phone call tipping off the police about it. Yeah, that was Kent. For sure. And you're not going to believe how this whole thing started. Like, these people, these are people that really need more plot problems in their lives. Well, they I'm really shocked. Now. I'm shocked that you said, like, their 30s because I'm picturing, you know, we both deal with parents in our respective jobs. Mm-hmm. And so, or just even, like, dealing with my own parents. I feel like some of the erratic behavior comes as people get older and they just, like, their filters go and they just, like, don't care because they're older. Yeah. I mean, these people are our age. They're our age. I'm kind of like, that's weird to me. Like, I just can't picture doing this. I think it comes from, like, the entitlement Mm -hmm. of... I got none of that. Feeling like, right, feeling like you are above people because of your status in life. Mm -hmm. But it all started on February 17th, 2010, almost a year to the day before the drugs were found in Kelly's car. I was thriving in 2010. (laughs) Keep going. The after-school classroom enrichment program that Jill was the volunteer director for, they had scheduled a tennis class for that afternoon. And once the tennis class ended, Kelly went to round up all the kids and walk them inside the building, through the back door, and into the front of the school to take them to their waiting parents at the front. Mm -hmm. Well, the Easter's little six-year-old Luke had fallen behind, and he hadn't been able to get into the building. He'd waited at the locked back door for someone to let him in when the tennis instructor spotted him and walked him to the front. And so I looked up this school on Google Maps, and the back of the school has a really large field stretching out until it meets the neighborhood. Like, there's no road back there. There's no easy access. So basically, the six-year-old was in no danger at all for the short few minutes that he was locked out back. I I get that that's scary. Right. But Jill Easter thought her son looked upset, and that made her upset. So she asked Kelly what happened, and Kelly told Jill that Luke was trailing behind and she hadn't noticed. And Kelly told Jill... Oh, Kelly. (laughs) Wrong answer, girl. (laughs) Kelly told Jill that the boy usually took his time, so this wasn't really unusual, and she just apologized over and over and over. I mean, she was also profusely apologizing. Kelly had to write up an account to school officials, and she wrote that she gave the boy a hug and that it seemed like Jill was okay. But Jill was not okay. She's not okay. She's unwell. Uh Uh-huh. She was convinced that this tennis instructor had been alone with her son and that maybe he touched him because it was very strange that the coach had brought him to the front. And Kelly said, no, that's not strange at all. He was the one who found him waiting by the back door. So what should he have done? So Jill walked away with her son, saying over her shoulder, I wonder how you can sleep at night with the way you treat people. Over that? 
Uh-huh. And Kelly said the comment made her really upset. But the most upsetting thing was that she had smiled at her the whole time she said it. Mm-mm. That's like the bless your heart, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. bless your heart. Jill Easter yeah. was not willing to let this incident go. So the next not. day, she complained to the school that her son had been locked out of the building for a full 19 minutes and that he had been crying hysterically when she picked him up. And she wanted Kelly removed as volunteer director. <laughs> she also took it tells a- me. She took some liberties with that story, yeah? Oh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> she also took offense to Kelly calling her son slow. She said to school officials, she told me that she blames my son because he is slow and he often gets left behind because it's hard to wait for him. But for the record, my son is very intelligent, mature, and athletic and has successfully participated in many ACE classes, which is the after-school program. He is receiving good grades and has earned many awards this year. He is not mentally or physically slow by any standard. <laughs> okay. I don't think Kelly was implying he was mentally slow, but like it's exactly sis, how your she kid it. walks slow. And as someone who taught kindergarten, how old is Luke? Six. He's six. Yeah. Okay. I literally taught five and six year olds and getting them to walk down the hall, first of all, they're like just Touching sure. every surface with mm-hmm. all of their body. Yep. And I would have to leave. I don't know why they always put the little ones all the way at the end of the school. But to get to lunch, mm-hmm. we had to leave 15 minutes before lunchtime. <laughs> I mean, it was a scene going there. I mean, it was like yeah. a conga line to get to the cafeteria. Like, your kid is slow. Every six-year-old is slow. Right. And some just <laughs> lag behind, you know? He's like smelling yeah. the roses back there. Because they're licking out. the walls and they're right. stopping to tie their shoe that's already tied and they're kicking each other. Like, right. Exactly. No. <laughs> they're licking doorknobs. I think there was something to do with his shoelaces being untied, too, but I can't remember. <laughs> I already yeah. know. Yes. Also, mm-hmm. PSA, put your kids in Velcro until they're in fifth grade, okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. They'll never learn to tie their shoes then, Mogab. I don't even care. <laughs> it's someone else's problem. So she really took the fact that Kelly said he was lagging behind as her saying that her son was intellectually slow. Yeah, she took it real personal. Also, this school is, like, really cute. Yeah, it is cute. The district director of the after-school program had investigated this whole incident and said that actually the boy had been left outside for five to eight minutes and that absolutely nothing had happened to the boy while he was outside. Because they pulled those fancy security camera tapes. Yes, and Kelly actually loved that kid. She thought he was a really cool kid. She saw him as quiet, prone to daydreaming, smart. The kid who would race up to her to show her his drawings. And he seemed to really like Kelly as well. Some of Kelly's friends said maybe that made Jill jealous. Maybe he talked about her a lot at home. And so Jill just already didn't like her. But Jill wasn't done. Oh, of course not. (laughs) She called the principal of Plaza Vista and said she was really worried about Kelly continuing to be the supervisor over the after school program. She didn't want other children to be hurt. And she made sure to remind the principal that both she and her husband were attorneys. Yeah, Jill from Irvine is like scheming all this up when she's out lunching with her friends. You know, she's like talking about Kelly. And Uh then they're like, you need to go back there Mm -hmm. and you need to talk to the school again. And she's like, you're right. And then Mm -hmm. she goes. But that's exactly what happened. Just getting more and more worked up. Because then 
Jill started a full-blown campaign of harassment against Kelly. She worked hard to get the other parents at the school against her. She'd walk up to other parents on campus and just talk about how talk about Kelly and how awful she was. And when the principal told Jill that could be considered harassment, Jill clapped back saying that it's not harassment. She's fully within her rights. And she As an attorney, I know. And she won't stop until Kelly is gone. She even said she might make stickers or signs for her car about what Kelly had done. Wait, stickers? She's going to – first Mm -hmm. of all, Jill, don't act like you're going to mess up your Audi with a bumper sticker. (laughs) Right. Second of all. Right. Second of all, you mean the time that she accidentally left your son locked out the back of the school for five minutes? Yeah, first of all, it won't fit on a bumper sticker. I would say, I have a six-year-old son, and he walked slow, and it, he got locked out of the school, and then there's, like, another sticker. And Kelly didn't let him in, and maybe the tennis coach touched him, but he probably didn't, and I have no proof. Next sticker. And she's awful. <laughs> and she's just what? awful. Kelly was more worried about what this drama looked like from the school's point of view. Like, she told the principal, if you want me to leave, I will leave. But the principal Aww. wouldn't hear it. Kelly was beloved at that school, and the principal didn't want her to leave. I assume Jill wasn't beloved. (laughs) (laughs) Less Jill, less so. So then Jill Easter went to the police. She demanded they look into this incident. So they did because they're the most bored police officers in the country, except for maybe in Olympia, Washington. And they found that there had been no crime. (laughs) (laughs) So then... Jill said she wanted a restraining order against Kelly. But then literally (laughs) she would not be able to walk your kid up to the school. (laughs) She said that Kelly had been harassing and stalking her and her six-year-old son and that she threatened to kill her. But the the court threw it out. Then. it It went all that. I mean, she like fully turned it in. Oh, yeah. And then Jill's husband, Ken Easter, filed a civil suit. He claimed his son had been the victim of false imprisonment and an intentional infliction of emotional distress and that he had suffered extreme and severe anguish. It said From that, that same incident. Yes. It said that Kelly's actions had been willful, wanton, malicious, and oppressive and justified a warning exemplary and punitive damages. Question. How is it false imprisonment if he's literally locked out? He wasn't even locked in. He was outside. He wasn't even in anything. True. And obviously this suit went absolutely nowhere. The school now required a headcount before children were released from the after school program, which is perfectly reasonable. And the Easter's got a refund for their ACE tuition. But the school- oh my god, except no, 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 except this is having to put the coffee is hot warning on the coffee. Like, you know, now we got one pissed off parent. Yes. Oh, we're definitely going to do the McDonald's Fine. coffee case if that's how you feel about it. We will definitely do that case. Oh, <laughs> I, yes. I don't really know the details. I just know that someone's burned themselves and now we've got to like gonna put- learn well, them. It's a good case. That's what this feels like. I'm just going to say it. I think requiring a head count of children is fine. Yeah. Let's require a head count of children. Sure. I don't know why she wasn't doing that already. Maybe I assume she had. Right. I just feel like Jill is really grasping at straws with her perfectly manicured I'm sure she's not satisfied with this result. (laughs) 
But the school stood with Kelly, and in early 2011, she was even elected president of the PTA. Oh, I'm surprised she wanted that after all this. So Kelly is detailing this whole feud, ongoing feud to the police, but she can't be 100% certain that the Easters are the ones behind planting the drugs in her car because there was another guy. Someone police were also very familiar with. He was this 43-year-old man who lived across the street from the school, and he just acted really weird. And you know how really weird people are seen in places with lawn length requirements, you know? Yes. He'd come onto campus without permission. He'd rant at the school staff or the crossing guard. He'd videotape the kids walking across the crosswalk, which is creepy and yeah it feels like the police should be focusing on that maybe. yeah and on occasion he'd come to pick up his son dressed as batman oh that's kind of cute kelly had felt bad for him but she also knew that he'd wanted to be pta president and he'd asked her for a copy of the bylaws so it was possible that he knew that a felony drug possession charge would certainly get her disqualified from the position i don't know why i would assume this but i didn't think that ptas yeah. had bylaws but so we talked in our Britney Spears episode about a, the 5150. They're the involuntary psychiatric mm-hmm. holds, you know? Yes. The police called this guy a 5149 and a half. Like, they're a slight uh. nuisance, but they can't really do anything about it. And sure. the police just figured it was this guy. At this point, they'd checked Kelly's record. They'd asked around about her. They were pretty convinced the drugs were not Kelly's and that someone was trying to frame her. And this guy, this 5149 and a half, sounded like a way more likely suspect than two lawyers they'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. So a detective named Mark Andriotzi was put in charge of the case, and he was given carte blanche to do whatever needed to be done. Again, <laughs> lots of lots of resources, lots of time. Yes, exactly. They literally talked about having this like state of the art SWAT team equipment, all this stuff that had never been used ever. But this case was about attacking safety and schools. The two things Irvine cared the most about. So, yeah. So Detective Mark went back to that 911 call on February 16th, 2011. The caller had given his name as Vijay Chandrasakar, and he'd spelled it out very easily. The caller had said he'd had a daughter at Plaza Vista Elementary, but there was nobody at the school with that last name. Sure. And the call seemed very scripted. The caller stuttered nervously and gave more information than would have been necessary. Also, the caller started off with an American accent, but after he gives his name as Vijay Chandra Sakar, he starts to adopt a faint Indian accent like halfway through the conversation. Because the call was a man, that also supported the police's opinion that it was probably this guy from across the street, the one who wanted Kelly's spot on the PTA. Mm -hmm. But then they traced the call. And it came from a wall-mounted phone at a fancy resort in Newport Beach. Oh, also, did Kelly get to hear it? Because I feel like she could immediately be like, that's Kent. She didn't know Kent. She'd never met Jill before that one time. That was the first time, first and last time she'd ever spoken to Jill in her whole life was that one day. Yeah. And she'd never seen Kent. Didn't know him. A different detective, McLaughlin, went to the hotel basement to – oh, there is a basement in this episode. (laughs) He went to the – At a resort in 
at a resort. I think we're fine. Yeah. All right. No seances there. He went to the hotel basement to look at the surveillance. And so they looked for the PTA rival on the camera, this guy from across the street, but they don't see him. Who they see is a tall, lanky man in a dark suit. And that guy looked just like Kent Easter. Easter. Which just goes to show you, sometimes the weird guy in a Batman costume is just a weird guy in a Batman costume. Yeah, let him live. You and know? yeah, and sometimes the two lawyers you've never heard of are the criminals. So yeah, that sounds about right. So they started following the Easters. It just this all the resources put onto this case boggles <laughs> my mind. <laughs> I know. I can't tell if I'm like very entertained or very disgusted. Like, I'm like Jill and Kent live anywhere else and pull these stunts and you'll get away with it. But you can't do it in Irvine. They're going to catch you. They have nothing better to do. Right. Which, I mean, great. I wish crime was that low everywhere else. I mean, oh, absolutely. A podcast. Yes. But why don't we why don't we help out some other places or why don't you, you know, deploy some people out to (laughs) somewhere else? Right. So. They start following the Easters, and they discovered that Kent worked right next door to this resort where the call was made from, and that their home was about a mile from Kelly Peters' apartment. And then they got the cell phone information. So early on the day that the tip came in about the drugs in Kelly's car, and I mean early, like between 2.30 and 4.30 in the morning, Kent and Jill's phones exchanged 15 text messages. Jill's phone had been pinging off a cell tower near their home, but Kent's phone was pinging near the Peter's apartment complex. Oh. Kelly's car was parked in the outdoor lot, which had a code activated gate, but like anyone who's ever lived in an apartment or gone to visit their friend in an apartment knows how easy it is to follow somebody in to a gated apartment complex. Meanwhile, Kelly's stress levels were at an all-time high. She didn't know what was going on with their investigation. She didn't think the police believed her, and she was just waiting for the day that they were going to come and arrest her. She thought they'd dig into her. This is so cute. This is like the sweetest. I feel Mm -hmm. so bad for her. She thought they would dig into her background and discover that sometimes she would speed. Or that one. I mean, after she quit her mortgage job, she'd thrown her company issue phone out the window. I. Like, those are the worst things she'd ever done. (laughs) I know. I hate this journey for Kelly. But like, the people need to hear these stories. Like, the people need to know that it's okay. Yeah. And she was worried they'd think that she was a criminal because she threw her phone out the window. She started going to littering Kelly. Yeah. Stop. She started going to a therapist and she got the impression that even the therapist didn't believe her. Oh, but the police did believe Kelly. They were just quietly working for weeks, watching the Easter's, learning their habits like they're kidnappers. I know. I'm like, what? So they can find where they hid the bodies. Like, what? I just. <laughs> Until they were like, ready to serve two search warrants simultaneously one at Kent's office and one at the couple's home. I think, honestly, I would be very nervous to serve two lawyers. Oh, we're yeah. not talking about like the Texas Hammer. We're talking about like. Yeah, Stanford, Berkeley, like, uh-huh. I'd be High pretty powered. nervous about that. Yeah. You want to make sure you got 
everything lined up. Yeah. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. But March 4th, 2011 was the day. Detective Andriazzi was leading the team serving the warrant at Kent's office, and he was prepared with a strategy to get Kent to talk. This was a guy who was smart, and he knew it, and they could play to that. They could play dumb. Because Kent had no idea what the police knew. Wait, can I do the search warrant part? Are you ready? Yes. Boom, boom, boom. Open up. We have a search and arrest warrant for narcotics. San Marcos police. I mean, Irvine police. <laughs> oh, oh, is that from boy. your personal experience from that time you were a drug dealer in college? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let the record show. I've never even touched drugs in my life. I was not a drug dealer. <laughs> Lame. However. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to burst your bubble. People are really going to think that about me. <laughs> Look, it just gives you a little spice in your in your past. So it didn't happen like that, unfortunately. They actually just met Ugh. up with Kent as he pulled into the parking garage of his office. And they just asked him if he knew what had happened at Plaza Vista Elementary. Why didn't we get that? Why didn't I get that experience? <laughs> boom, boom, boom. 
Kent said they'd had a problem last year with his son being locked out of the school and a parent volunteer berating him for being slow. He said his wife had filed a few complaints, but they just decided to let bygones be bygones. Hmm. Police brought up Kelly's name and Kent said he didn't know her. Couldn't even tell what she looked like. They continued asking him questions. And the more they asked, the more defensive Kent seemed to be. He asked if they were recording this conversation and they were like, yep. And so they asked him why two and a half weeks ago he'd gone out in the middle of the night. And Kent said sometimes he ran out for diapers. But he looked really nervous now and he began to stutter just like the caller had. So detectives went in for the kill shot. They told him they knew he'd been out near Kelly's apartment that night. And they told him that if there were any DNA on those drugs or bags, they'd find it. And Kent, who's like, I can't believe they're going to run DNA on these bags. I definitely wasn't (laughs) expecting that, said, I want a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. And it's me? No? It's it's my wife. (laughs) So the detectives are like, sure, wait here for your lawyer while we execute this search warrant that we came prepared with. And they searched his car, and wouldn't you believe it, they found those exact baggies <gasps> in his car filled with pills. Shocker. Yeah. It's filled with the same ones? I don't think they were filled with the same pills, but they were the same bags. And like I said, those are those tiny little Ziplocs that said easy dose pill pouch on them. So they're really specific baggies, and they matched the same kind of baggies that the pills found in Kelly's car were in. So detectives then went up to Kent's office on the 14th floor, but they couldn't search it themselves because his files were all protected client files. So what has to happen is a third party attorney comes in and they search through the files and they take anything that appears to be relevant and they leave the rest. This way, attorney client privilege is maintained and the police still can get their information. The other lawyers in the law office still didn't like this, and they kept telling the cops they didn't have jurisdiction there because it was Newport Beach and not Irvine, and the detectives had to threaten to arrest them before they'd back off. Meanwhile, detectives were executing a search warrant on the Easter home. Jill was outside bouncing a basketball with her three-year-old daughter while police searched the house. They found a copy of her self-published book, Holding House. Published under the name Ava Bjork. Oh, and this this treasure of gold is the summary on Amazon. Oh. Ever dream about the perfect crime? Sean Hauser and his friends have discovered it. Sean is a rising mixed martial arts star with a troubled past and a major gambling problem. When his debts and his life spin out of control, two of his college friends offer him a solution. Act as the muscle in a foolproof international kidnapping. The crime is shockingly simple and 100% possible. No one will get hurt and there's no way they can get caught. Sean and his friends can't wait to start living the good life. But when unforeseen events cause their dream crime to unravel into a nightmare, the friends soon become the subjects of an international manhunt. Worse, Sean finds himself falling for their beautiful hostage. Can Sean redeem himself, even if it means risking his friendships, his freedoms, and possibly his life? I mean, if that just doesn't... add to cart. Yeah. I will be reading that. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I love that you used your Pulowski voice in there. (laughs) Pulowski? Pulowski. She published that book? Yeah, self-published. Uh-huh. 
Self-publish. Yeah. Mm, yeah that, apparently that's like a big thing you can do on Amazon. Well, oh, yeah. That is. I know what I'm getting you for your birthday. So It's $900. So definitely no, out it's of print. Not. Yeah, it is. I looked it up. How can a book be $900? Because it's out of print. Yeah. What is it? The first edition of King James Bible? <laughs> the first edition. Hey, and written by Jesus. <laughs> so, autographed. Signed by Jesus himself. What was the name of this book? Holding House. By Ava Bjork, because that's her that's her made up name. Yeah. Okay. One of the college friends in the book is Libby, a Berkeley educated lawyer, just like Jill, surprise, surprise, who is a patient woman with a formidable intelligence, alluring to men, but unlucky in love. When someone crosses oh. her, she waits patiently until she can exact her revenge, which also sounds familiar or sounds like how Jill sees herself yeah yikes that she put her marital problems in her self-published book though (laughs) (laughs) i'm lucky at love yikes in the book libby aka jill is dumped by her boyfriend joe and exacts a wild revenge scheme anonymous phone calls to the police she sets him up for a visa violation she drains his bank accounts the online marketing for the book said ever dream about the perfect crime it's in this book As you read, you'll be wondering why no one has ever thought of it before. It's shockingly simple, twisted, and 100% possible. Once you read about it, you'll be tempted to pull it off. It's like a tutorial, a (laughs) how-to. Right. Unfortunately, it's $900 on Amazon, so we'll never know what the perfect crime is. That's shockingly simple, twisted, and 100% possible. Everyone go sign up for our Patreon so that we can afford this book. We don't have a Patreon yet. <laughs> oh, God. Police else? took both Kent's BlackBerry and Jill's iPhone, but unfortunately, they sat in a judge's office while arguments were made about whether or not the police could see what was on them. Unfortunately, Kent has a BlackBerry. I mm-hmm. guess this is 2010. But. Yeah. Not only were Kent and Jill both attorneys, but they were also married to each other so they had the attorney client privilege argument to keep their phones away from the police but they also had spousal privilege yep basically in california the spousal privilege is you have the right not to testify against your husband or wife in a criminal jury trial when he or she is charged with a crime and you have the right not to disclose any confidential communications between you and your spouse which could include those text messages this book is rated two stars Oh, yeah, people are, yeah, they know it's her. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. But do you know whose phone wasn't protected by any of those privileges, Mogam? Kelly's? No, the L.A. firefighter that Jill Easter was having an affair with. Oh, yes. <laughs> I knew she, I knew there was trouble in paradise. Yeah. But tell me more about this firefighter. So he came by. Yeah. He came by her house one day while the cops were watching it. And they saw him go up to her house and they saw her open the door wearing like a silk robe or something. But it's he's called lingerie. <laughs> Yeah, lingerie. I didn't want you to think she's like in a teddy. (laughs) 
Police caught up to him pretty quickly, and they found out his name was Glenn Gomez, and he'd been having an affair with Jill for two and a half years. Glenn. Glenn. On his phone, they saw all the usual evidence of an affair, dirty pictures, explicit text messages. She called him her sex ninja. Ooh, God, she's really got a martial arts thing. Yeah, and just be warned. Don't put it in a text message if you don't want to read it in front of a jury one day. Okay. Detectives could tell pretty quickly that Glenn hadn't been involved in this whole thing, but he also wasn't super eager to help them out. He said he loved Chill. But finally, on March 23rd, he agreed to wear a wire. Mm. But she didn't say anything incriminating. She just told him she had no idea why detectives were calling him and that she was losing everything and had nobody standing by her side, nobody to tell to help her. And he told her he thought they should probably keep their distance for a little while. And she got pissed. She told him that he was turning his back on her just when she needed someone to stand by her. This, I keep forgetting this all started with the kid getting locked outside for a minute. Yeah. For, for, for five, minutes, five to eight exact. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe this is where we're at from there. <laughs> right. So after Glenn broke up with her, Jill was once again looking for revenge. She went to his house in Long Beach, told Glenn's wife all about the affair, showed her all the steamy pictures. She also wrote a letter to the dance studio where his wife worked, detailing the entire affair. She wrote it in the third person, trying to make it look like someone who knew Jill wrote it instead of Jill herself, but it was definitely her. (laughs) All this time, Kelly Peters really has no idea what was going on with the investigation, Yeah, I guess she's not, like, privy to all of this happening. Yeah, she didn't know if they were still thinking the drugs were hers or not. So finally, in late March 2011, after a whole month had gone by since the drugs had been discovered in her car, detectives called Kelly to tell her they now had strong evidence that it had all been planted. Yeah, I think, uh, clue her in. I mean, her anxiety is at an all-time high. All-time high. Like, she's probably now actually taking pills. Yes. Because she's stressed. (laughs) So what was this strong evidence, you might ask? Well, apart from the similar pills in a similar baggie found in Kent's car, they also mm-hmm. found his DNA on the Percocet, Vicodin, and the pipe, and they found Jill's DNA on the pipe and the Vicodin. Ugh. Like, how are these people lawyers? Like, don't they know that? Oh I guess God. they just didn't think it would get this They far. did not think that they would investigate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At this point, the detectives wanted to get Jill and Ken Easter almost as much as Kelly. They didn't like that the Easters seemed to think that because they were lawyers, that they were above the law, that they could get away with Mm -hmm. something like this. And I don't think, like we said, for one second, the Easters expected the police to put this much investigation into the situation. And literally, if it were anywhere else but Irvine... I doubt they would have. I mean, lucky for Kelly Peters that they had some really smart detectives with way too much time on their hands. Yeah. Even with the DNA evidence, they still couldn't make an arrest. They just didn't have enough. And the Easters had both lawyered up with the best defense attorneys out there. What else do they need? They needed those 15 text messages that they knew had been exchanged between Kent and Jill Mm. while Kent was driving near Kelly's apartment. But they'd been erased before the phones had been taken, which I thought wasn't a thing. I thought they could get erased text messages, but yeah, 
The lawyer that the detectives had going through all of Kent's documents, emails, and texts had finally had enough. He said he'd had no idea that this would be such a huge job, and he had his own practice to run. And so a whole year passed, and the Easters hadn't had a single consequence from this. Kent Easter had even been named an equity partner at his firm, so he now got a cut of profits from his law firm. He'd been promoted. Yeah. Mm. But the Peters were suffering the consequences, all of them. Kelly, her daughter, Sydney, and her husband, Bill, were all eventually diagnosed with anxiety disorders. Oh, I was right. Yeah. Bill was also diagnosed with depression. Kelly couldn't get out of her car at the school without first searching the whole thing for drugs stashed around it. Sydney developed a fear of being abducted and refused to sleep alone. And she played (gasps) by herself at recess every day. She's so young. I know. Well, she's in fifth grade. But I mean, but like. I know. To have things. I don't know. I mean, I know. Kelly's anxiety was also getting the best of her. She'd rush to her door when she got home, afraid that someone was lurking in the shadows. She'd She'd see Jill Easter occasionally when she'd come up to pick up her son while Kelly was at her desk in the front office. She avoided her at all costs, but just the sight of her would give her a chill. Do you imagine the audacity, like, still go pick up your kid when you're, like, planning drugs? The audacity of this whole woman's life. (sighs) Yeah. Kelly was having dreams that Jill Easter was slashing her throat, and so she started wearing a scarf around her neck. She (gasps) found a bald spot on her head, Mm. and she became much more jumpy, just snapping when anyone forgot to lock a door. She couldn't walk her dog by the lake anymore by herself. She'd always make sure she had friends with her on either side of her. Christopher Duff was a prosecutor for the special prosecutions team when the case came to him. And he realized how differently this could have gone if it happened literally anywhere else but a place like Irvine. They'd had 20 investigators on this case at one time or another. And the lead investigator. Two zero. Two zero. And the lead investigator had worked exclusively on this case for six months for a case where no one was physically hurt. If this had happened in L.A., Kelly would have probably left the school in the back of a patrol car, would have had to go to court for felony drug charges, would have lost her position as PTA president and as the head volunteer for the after-school program, something the school depended on her for. It would have been a loss for everyone. And after meeting Kelly Peters, he knew a trip to jail would have broken her completely. I mean, she's practically breaking without all of that, without the worst consequences that could have happened. Like, this is literally the best possible outcome for her, and she's still suffering all of this anxiety. Instead, an entire full-blown scheme had been uncovered with two attorneys behind it, people who already had a sense of superiority because of their status as attorneys, and were now using that status to shield themselves from the consequences of their actions. Those yeah. those cell phones still hadn't been released because of the privileged information on there. But Christopher Duff decided he didn't need it. He had the DNA on the pipe and the pills. He had motive. He had opportunity. And he had the cell phone pings placing Ken Easter near Kelly's apartment the night before the drugs were found. How come um, Kent's not like, oh, my wife's having an affair? Well, because they would out him, too. I was going to say he should be like, take your text. But never mind. He's the. Ugh. Yeah. 
The Easters were told that if charges were filed, they'd be given the courtesy of a warning, which would have given them time to surrender themselves to the station after already arranging their bail. So this way they wouldn't have to be handcuffed or have the embarrassment of being arrested in front of Polly's or Pierce. Why? had drugs all over the hood of her car. Yeah. Cause her, but Irvine PD was like, no, no, F that. And Christopher okay. Duff said he was unaware of any such agreement with the Easters. <laughs> But he must have been because they were sneaky, sneaky about these arrest warrants. They had to they had to make sure that they weren't recorded in the public court computers so that they could they could not have any so that they wouldn't be forewarned. Police <laughs> pulled Kent over as he was on his way to work. And I'm really disappointed they didn't wait until he was already there in his office on the 14th yeah. floor overlooking Newport Beach getting handcuffed. Uh-huh. But alas, that didn't happen. They got a tow truck for his car, put him in handcuffs, and took him off for the county jail. And he saw Jill there when he arrived. She'd been arrested at home. They were charged with conspiring to plant drugs in Kelly's car, but they were quickly out on bail. Their mugshots were also out just as quickly, broadcast all over the news. And finally, the Easters were seeing some consequences for their actions. Kent Easter lost his job and the $400,000 salary that comes with it. Why aren't we lawyers? Boy, bye. And no other firm would touch him. Since Jill was a stay-at-home mom and hadn't practiced law in years, they depended on Kent's income. They were hopeful that the charges would be misdemeanors because that would allow them to keep their law license. But Christopher Duff, the prosecutor, was like, no. He won (laughs) felony indictments on them, and he wouldn't even hear about misdemeanors. Oh, that's amazing. Because they wouldn't have been misdemeanors on Kelly. They would have been, she would have had a felony. Right. Also, almost all of the evidence was all against Kent. It was him on the surveillance video when he made that fake 911 call. It was his Blackberry that was pinging near the Peters apartment the night before the drugs were found. So in a last-ditch effort to salvage Kent's career, Jill copped to planting the drugs. But not in a confession. This was part of a motion to be able to be tried separately. That way, at their trials, they could each blame the other one and hope that they could both get off. I mean, it really is an ingenious idea. Right. Yes. So the state starts panicking. They know that if the judge allows the trials to be separated, they're going to lose them both. It's so easy to say, my wife did it, my husband did it, you know. Right. The defense would get Jill tried first, and once she blamed it all on Kent and got off, she could go and testify at his trial, take all the blame, without any risk of getting in trouble for it. The the judge wasn't buying Jill Easter's confession, so he denied the motion, and they would be tried together. Yes. Yes. Why is everything working out so perfectly? Yeah. For once. So by the fall of 2013, Jill said that she'd plead guilty to a felony count of false imprisonment by fraud or deceit. This way, she wouldn't have to go through a trial and she would still be able to testify at Kent's trial and save him since she was financially dependent on him. Also, these people look like the absolute worst. Did you know this one I pulled up? It says Dr. Phil. You know, there's a Dr. Phil episode. I know you like him. You know that that's one of the sources. So, Oh, There's three sources. One of them is a three-minute clip. Their episode doesn't exist anywhere. I couldn't find it. But you can find, like, some little clips on YouTube. It's her and Kelly Peters is on there, too. Oh, together? Do they see each other together? No. Jill is talking to Dr. Phil, and then Kelly and Dr. Phil are sitting back watching the tape and making fun of her. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, Kelly looks, I think this is Kelly. She looks just like someone I know, and she's so sweet I looking. Know. She is really sweet looking. Jill. Woof. Woof. So Jill was sentenced to 120 days in county jail, less than half of which she'd actually have to serve, plus 100 hours of community service at a soup kitchen, plus <laughs> she was disbarred. Yes. Yeah. Kent's trial began in November of 2013, and Kent had hired a lawyer who'd been named the White Collar Lawyer of the Year. So now I know that that's a thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Jill, of course, was painted as the dominant wife who belittled Kent and pushed him around. The phrase, Jill wore the pants, was used a lot. And he said, having an affair. "Mm, Yeah. And he said Kent had no backbone when it came to his wife. An incredibly successful lawyer making $400,000 a month and had just been promoted to equity partner at his firm, but... Sure, he doesn't have a backbone. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Kent got on the stand and said it was all Jill's fault. She was obsessed with destroying Kelly Peters, and she planted the drugs in Kelly's car and dragged Kent into this whole scheme. They showed this email that Kent got in the middle of the day from <laughs> Jill as proof of how domineering she was. And this email is wild. It was no. sent in 2010. A month after their son was accidentally locked out of school, the subject of the email was need to get serious. Oh. And in the email, she told Kent that she wanted to have a background check run on Kelly Peters. She wanted her arrested and slapped with a restraining order. And she wanted to sue everyone. Kelly, the school, the school board, the school district, the foundation. And then she ended it with this amazing line written in bold and all caps. Can't wait. Why are we letting this no one abuse our son and then trash our family? Exclamation points for days. Why? (laughs) Exclamation points for days. She used 68 exclamation points. The girl was pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Girl was pissed. What did he reply? I don't know. I'm probably Uh like, sure, hon. See you when I get home. Yeah. They tried to make it seem like Jill was the crazy one and Kent the more reasonable one who tried to stop his crazy wife from going along with this whole scheme, which, you know, may or may not be true. But the fact is, it was Kent's Blackberry pinging in the middle of the night by the Peter's apartment. It's literally him making the call. Right. But Kent had a great explanation for that. They swapped phones that night. He said uh, Jill left her iPhone at home to charge, and so she took his BlackBerry, which is totally No, no iPhone user is picking up a BlackBerry. <laughs> no iPhone like, user that is having a steamy affair is leaving uh, her iPhone at home next to her husband. Yeah. No. So they're saying Jill left her very incriminating phone that he said he knew the password to, like they were swapping phones, and took his and then snuck out to plant the drugs, totally unbeknownst to Kent. Didn't even know she left. Then she called him the next day to say she'd just seen Kelly Peters popping pills, driving erratically, and she ordered him to call the police. So he did, because remember, Jill wears the pants. He said he gave that fake name because it was the first name that popped in his head. It was the name of a neighbor of theirs, which is why he knew how to spell it. (laughs) This poor man. But he hadn't been planning on using that name because if you listened to the 911 call, he actually says his name is Jay. And the 911 operator says Jay. And he goes, VJ. And she goes, VJ. VJ what? VJ Chandrasekhar. (laughs) 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so he didn't remember. He hadn't been planning on using that name. So he didn't remember until halfway through the call to start using a very bad Indian accent. The whole room was waiting for Jill Easter to testify, thinking that if she got oh. up on the stand to say that it really had been her, she was the real villain, then the jury would probably acquit. But the defense rested without calling Jill to the stand. Ooh. The jury deliberated, but they were unable to reach a verdict on the charges of false imprisonment by fraud or deceit. Eleven of them wanted to convict, but one juror felt sorry for Ken Easter and refused to convict him. Mistrial. Ugh. But that's excellent because that gives us the second trial. Okay, I was like, (laughs) and this time Jill Easter did take the stand, but she had some requests. You see, it seems in the intermeaning months, she has now developed hearing loss. So when she got to the stand, she's like pointing to her ear saying that she has hearing loss. So the court offered to get her a sign language interpreter. That wasn't going to be good enough for old Jill Easter. She doesn't. Did she learn sign language in the day? Yeah, she wanted a screen that would give the, her the lawyer's questions. Wait, wait, wait. When you say hearing loss, like, not that she's hard of hearing, like, she's deaf? She's just like, I can't hear you. <laughs> I can't. Pointing <laughs> to her ear, okay. like, I can't hear you. So they're like, okay, here is a sign language interpreter. And she's like, no, I need a screen so I can read the questions. But that would give her an advantage because it would give her extra time to process the question before answering. Mm-hmm. It would They would not be able to trap her with anything. Right. Also, the court saw it as the flaming pile of bull that it was. And the judge right. said she could take the interpreter like anyone else or not. The defense decided uh. not to call her to the stand and they sent her home. <laughs> <laughs> The hardest part for the prosecution was trying to explain the motive. It seemed impossible that someone would go to all the trouble of framing someone with the drugs just because they left their son in the back of the school for a few minutes by accident. Yeah, I get wronged daily (laughs) worse than that. I feel like. And my first thought is not plant drugs all in of their this. <laughs> yeah. it's not mine for sure obviously yeah i know it's insane so the prosecutor stressed the fact that kent and jill were still married the defense was trying to say that jill had set him up and completely framed him but they're still together but then in his closing argument duff the prosecutor saved his best argument for last something he'd okay. missed during the first trial They had been using the Easter's text pings to show the location, and it showed Jill's phone at home and Kent's Blackberry near Kelly's apartment. But when Duff went back over the data, he saw there was also cell location data from automatic data checks. And those automatic data checks showed both phones were near Kelly's apartment that night. (gasps) So Duff said it didn't matter if they swapped phones. The data puts both phones near the apartment. Yes. And the defense didn't have an opportunity to rebut that or say it was junk science. They'd already rested. They'd already given their uh, closing arguments. They argued about it with the judge, but the judge was like, y'all both had that same evidence this whole time. And so Mm -hmm. he let the strategy go through. The jury took two hours to find Kent Easter guilty. Yes. The judge gave Ugh. Kent a day to sort out his affairs before he'd be taken into custody. 
And he said later in court documents that Jill told him that he should kill himself so they could collect the $500,000 life insurance policy on him. 500000 Yeah. That is the sweetest send-off I've ever heard. No kidding. Is that normal that they give him, like, no. you get to have your affairs in order? No. I feel like that's really ridiculous. Like, yeah. usually they're handcuffed and taken And they were right going there. to, but he had these really, the best white-collar attorney of all time, and they were able to work that out for no. him yeah because the, the judge rules, was all ready people. to send him back right then so when jill told uh suggested to kent that he should kill himself he said no thank you yeah. so Health she abortion. said well then we should escape to belize and then she said maybe i should just kill myself she was going through the going through the ringer at sentencing yeah, the judge told kent that he was disgusted by him and that he'd like to put him away for the maximum, which was three years, but also that the jails were full. And I'm like, you got room in Irvine. You got to have a county, yeah. you know. So instead, he was sentenced to 180 days, of which he'd serve half of that. So like three months, plus mm. 100 hours of community service and three years probation. The real consequences here are that their lives are ruined. Like they're disbarred. Right. I mean, that's like really. Right. Because he, yes, the- he was also disbarred. And in jail, he was also beaten up a time or two, recognized by other inmates inside. But he also gave legal advice to a lot of them that he liked. Mm. Just before the second trial, Kent had filed for divorce from Jill. And while he was serving his time, she filed for custody of the kids. And in the filing, she said that he was unstable and had irrational behavior and that he was prone to mood swings, was a workaholic and a heavy drinker. She said the only reason she pled guilty was because he threatened to take away the kids. And so he said she'd pepper sprayed him in the face one time. (laughs) They're just a dream. The dream team right here. They finally agreed on joint custody. These poor kids. I know. I I think about the kids a lot, too. I feel bad for them. Three kids that are have these messed up parents. But it wasn't over for the Easter's. Nope. The Peters were now the Peters were now taking them to civil court. Oh yeah. Kelly wanted millions for emotional distress. <laughs> the lawyers on her team didn't think she'd get it. She hadn't suffered any actual losses. She wasn't physically harmed. She hadn't lost her position at the school. But then Ken Easter came in and just completely refused to take any responsibility for what happened. And then they thought maybe she might have a shot. The jurors <laughs> were just gonna hate him. Yeah. At the civil trial, Kent said he didn't know what Kelly was so upset about. Her experience hadn't been nearly as bad as his. You started it. (laughs) He said the fact that something very bad was done to a person doesn't give them a winning Powerball number. And I'm like, it does if the person that did the bad thing to them is rich. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, literally, you should know that. Yeah. No kidding. He did finally admit to conspiring with Jill to plant the drugs in Kelly's car. He said it was stupid and unfortunate, but that Kelly had embellished how much she'd suffered. He also said it was Jill that did the actual planting. They called Jill Easter to the stand in the civil trial, though she'd changed her name to Ava Everhart now. What what is that? Is that her middle name? Ava Ava is her middle name. Or Bjork. Okay, at least. Yeah, it was her middle name. Yeah. Okay. They had a sign language interpreter there for her hearing loss, and she showed about as much remorse as Kent Easter did and said that though she'd pled guilty to planting the drugs, she hadn't actually done it. Can she sign? I need to know if she's actually fluent in sign. 
No, she does not have hearing loss. She's making it up. She's on the <laughs> Dr. Phil show having a conversation with him like normal. Like she does not have hearing you, like, loss. Under oath, make up a medical condition. No kidding. God. Ken Easter closed the trial by saying that Kelly was fine. Everyone had stood by her, even the cop on that first day when the drugs were found, but that he'd lost everything. His career, his education was now worthless, and he was living in an apartment with his parents like the other peons <laughs> of the world. I love that he's like, the cops stood by her. Yeah, she was literally wrong. Innocent. Yeah. <laughs> like, the cops did by her but now i'm getting all this consequences i live live with my parents (laughs) he had a felony conviction which barred him even from driving for a ride share so he can't even like be an uber driver so he's like legitimately a felon he said he didn't need any further punishment but the jury disagreed and they awarded the peters 5.7 million and where do they get that money if he is flat broke like where did well the they um they thought that, first of all they don't nobody ever gets paid in these things i mean you don't get yeah. your money but they thought that they were hiding money in accounts they knew that right before the civil trial he transferred the title of their home to his father-in-law and they said that there was fraud going on with that i mean they kelly peters is not getting a dime from them so by her book she wrote a book that i did not read but okay a part of me kind of started to agree with kent like what the easters did was horrible but he had been punished for it quite a lot i mean his whole life but then i remember that it was only pure luck that kelly got out unscathed like She was not a powerful person like the Easters. She lived in a little apartment. She quit her job. She painted jeans. And she volunteered at her daughter's school. Like, that and the fact that she was such a nice person that everyone stood by her. I mean, that that really is what got her out of this whole mess. That cop did not have to look further into the drugs to unveil this whole conspiracy. He could have just arrested her. Her life could have been ruined. Yeah. Her circumstances of where she lived which like i didn't know that people that lived in tiny apartments and painted blue jeans lived in irvine right and they, they don't they they, this it. is the type of place where like her neighbors that would move into an apartment would be like oh we're just between homes right now like it it was an yeah. embarrass it was seen as an embarrassment in this area but she was perfectly happy living in her little apartment volunteering at her daughter's school and her whole life would have been ruined and the easters would have just continued on happily living their wonderful, privileged lives, thinking they could just ruin anyone that crossed them. And their definition of cross is so small, it's terrifying. Yeah, I'd hate to get their order wrong at a restaurant or something. Yeah. And as of the writing of that LA Times article, the Easters hadn't paid a penny of that $5.7 million awarded to Kelly. I just don't understand. Like, I don't understand how that's a thing. Like, you just don't. You just don't have to pay it. Then Yeah, then what's the why point do we of have civil, civil courts? Yeah. yeah. A lot of times they do it so that they can collect, like, um, profit off of their crimes. They can't, like, go and write a book about it and then make money off Son of it. Son of Sam, you taught me that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about Anna. Anna. Ah, yes. And then sometimes, like, if they're rich enough, they can be compelled. But these guys were claiming that they were totally broke. But I'm like... 
you made $400,000 a year. You're not like... You got a, you got a little saving somewhere. Yeah. That is the most petty revenge story I've ever heard. Man. Mm-hmm. I just love the justice in it, you know? Like... Yeah. I just you know, hate it, that that's not the justice that... I mean, where else does this right, happen? And- right. Where else would that have happened? I know. It does make me think, too, of, like, if I were ever framed for something or accused of something or whatever that I didn't do, obviously my first thought is, like, I didn't do it. It's not mine. But I almost feel like just immediately coming out of the gate and saying that, that's Mm -hmm. what they expect you to say. That's what they hear. Mm -hmm. So I've often thought, like, quick reaction, what would I say? Uh Right. Like, Did you come up with anything? No. But I did think about how you told me. And the last or two episodes ago when you said, like, if you really weren't somewhere and they say they found DNA, Mm -hmm. they can't be lying. Mm -hmm. So don't try and figure out, like, well, maybe it's because I went over there last Christmas. Right. Like, spend the, like, yeah, don't try to fit the puzzle pieces together. Just, no, it's not, it's not mine. I want a lawyer. That should be your words. I want a lawyer. I want a lawyer. Don't. Say, okay, I'm not going to get a lawyer because it'll make me look guilty. Do you know what it makes you look guilty? False confessions make you look guilty. Okay. That won't happen if you have a lawyer. Hey, peeps and creeps. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys so much. And we would love to hear from all of you. So find us on our social medias. Please follow us on Instagram at CreepersPod. Also our Facebook page and Twitter. But really get on that Instagram. (laughs) Yes, we need to build that up and you can email us any feedback or case suggestions or just drop us a note at creeperspod at gmail.com. Also, a big thanks to everyone who has left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts. They literally make our day. Um, They help us out in a really, really big way. So if you like this episode or any of our past episodes and you have an iPhone, um, not a Blackberry. Do they even make Blackberries? If you have an iPhone... We'd love it if you take a minute, give us a five-star rating, write up a little review. It doesn't have to be super long. Um, Anything helps. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode where I'm sure Kristen will scare me in some way or another. (laughs) It's your birthday episode. (gasps) My birthday episode. (laughs) No murders. Does someone get murdered on my birthday episode? Nobody gets murdered on your birthday episode. Just the way I like it. Yeah. Bye, peeps and creeps.